Well, at this time of the year, it seems like everything in the world normally gets amplified. It's not just that the sale signs get bigger or the shop, the names for the shopping days get wackier between Black Friday and Cyber Monday and Small Business Tuesday and take your pet to shopping day every third Sunday of the month. I just made that one up. But the stress and the anxiety can be greater too, especially when you're trying to make up names of random holidays. As if the pandemic didn't bring out enough of that kind of thing. God forbid there's tension or there's loss in the family. That that empty chair gets amplified when you have lost a loved one going into the season. It, it can be maybe even feel the same kind of way even though a person may be living but they're not able to be with you physically during the holidays. We notice that stuff more during Christmas. And when the first Christmas happened, things got amped up too. Both in who God used in what they experienced, and in what they offered in return. Check it out in this story as we continue looking at the characters that God has playing out in this story. This comes out of um, Luke 2, verses 8 to 20. A pretty common, classic Christmas passage. Check it out. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Can you tell it's getting closer? If you have young kids, I'm sure you have no choice but to be aware that Christmas is getting closer and closer each and every day. The Advent calendars maybe have more open doors than closed, right about the halfway mark now. Maybe you have to invent new present hiding places since your immediate family is around all the time, especially if they're on break or if they're studying or doing school remotely, at least even half time. But I hope amidst everything else that is amped up, so is your sense of wonder in this season. It's one of Luke's favorite themes, that and the idea of looking out for the outcasts. And we see both of those really brought out in the passage today. If it wasn't enough, Advent brings us more than just amazement, more than just wonder. What does Advent bring? This time of anticipating Christmas? It brings a relief from fear. See the responses that shepherds give when the angels show up. In Luke 2, 9, Then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now to be sure, I'd probably freak out too. I mean, nobody sees an angel and goes, hey, what's up? It just does not work out that way. We see 
almost all the time in this story, when the angel shows up, people freak out. People panic. We saw it with Zechariah and Mary. They each had their same reactions in the past two weeks as we looked at their stories. But each time, how does the angel respond? Some version of what, he, what the angel gives to the shepherds in verses 10 and 11. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. Do not be afraid. God's at work. The angel doesn't just state this glibly, like it's some kind of platitude, but he blesses each person with a reason to to not fear, to not be afraid. So when we we see the word for in this sentence, or in these sentences, it's kind of like sticking in because. Do not be afraid because I am bringing you good news. To Zechariah, we looked at him in the first week of Advent. The angel says, after we read that Zechariah was afraid, even though he was a priest, even though he was called to do worship as close to God as the people ever got, he was freaked out. And the angel said, your prayer has been answered. To Mary, the angel says, "You have found, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Do not be afraid because you have found favor with God. To the shepherds in this story, do not be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy. See, here's where the story starts to get even bigger, as if the story isn't epic enough as it is. There are, these are truths beyond just for Zechariah and for Mary and for the shepherds. What do these reasons tell us about God? For our lives today, here, celebrating the 2000th Christmas or the 2020th Christmas, whatever, however you want to do the math. To Zechariah, the words of the angel say, God cares. God hears our prayers. God answers our prayers. You know what? Same truth for today as it was back then. Even when we don't believe that he will, just like Zechariah didn't. To Mary, the truth that, that the angel gives says those with favor or grace in their lives, they have no reason to fear. You know what? Still true today, just as much as it was back then. To the shepherds, the angel says, do not fear, for I bring you good news of great joy. Well, you know what? Good news is a translation for the gospel. I'd say that's certainly a reason to dispel fear or something that can, bring, can dispel fear away. So what else does Advent bring into this story? It brings a sign of humility or a, a focus on humility. See, I know that's something that we don't um, play up very much in our society today. But even in the most romanticized versions that we often give the shepherds in this story um, and, and we make them to be these, these great characters. Back then, in the day-to-day, shepherd was, being a shepherd was not a job of glory. You didn't, you didn't go through Hebrew school thinking, yes, I'm going to be a shepherd when I grow up. I mean, it was a job that never really ended, just to be entirely practical. You're caring for the, the sheep in the day, and then you're guarding them at night. Jewish tradition basically considered them incompetent. It's actually said that if one falls into a pit, if a shepherd falls into a pit. Nobody is obliged to rescue them. Imagine that. Imagine being in a a society where you can have a heart attack in the middle of the store. 
You're shopping for your bread and bagels and you drop down from a heart attack. And people are taught to step over your body as they go off to get their cream cheese and yogurt. Imagine being that kind of person. They, they cared for sheep of all animals. I mean, isn't that punishment enough? This bunch, <coughs> this bunch of sheep that they're taking care of, they're not even county fair sheep. They're the sheep that are going to get sacrificed at the temple up in Jerusalem. These shepherds, they're probably not even blips on Israel's radar. And yet God shows boldness in writing the script that says, I'm not going to work under the limits or the, the limitations of what this society says. We see it amped up with the character's humility or the characters that, that display humility. As we look through the characters we've been looking at so far, you have Zechariah. Okay, he's a priest. We can imagine God working through him. You have Mary that we talked about last week. She's a woman. She's relatively young. She's unmarried. This is kind of getting a little bit stranger here as far as how you know God's going to use her. Then shepherds. I mean, God just gone off the hook as far as using people you'd never expect. Zechariah, as a priest, probably wouldn't have given the time of day to a shepherd if he saw him. And they're not just unclean physically, to say the least, but they're un considered unclean spiritually as well. And yet the first people to hear about that Jesus was born, that the Messiah was born, were people who couldn't even worship in the temple. Figure that one out. It's total proof of what we read in Luke 2.10, that the, this is good news for all people. Because these no-namers became the first evangelists. We see it in verse 17. When they saw this, when the shepherds saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. They're sharing the good news already. Fast forward 30 years. You look at Jesus, who has now started up his ministry, and we see in John 10, 14, Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Jesus doesn't take on a title of respected people. He takes on a title of the despised people. Good shepherd. Here's your thought for the week, if you need one. If you think the world has overlooked you, you may be right for God to use you to change the world. God's kind of got a bit of a track record for doing exactly that. So what else does Advent bring? As if these ideas aren't enough, that brings a, a, dis, a dispelling of fear, a, a sense of humility, but it also brings on a sense of praise. We see it in verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. I imagine the shepherds asking one question as they're kind of on their journey back after they had visited Mary and, and Joseph and the baby. And they're just kind of like, did that just happen? I've said in the past, how do you get up a mountain? When you, you're looking at it and you, you're down at the bottom and you look up and it's like, how in the world am I going to get up to the top of that? Well, here's two steps to be able to do it. Right foot, left foot. Right foot, left foot. And you do that enough times and eventually you get to the top and you, and you look back down and you're like, did I just climb that? Then for some of you, I know you're going to end up skiing down it. You're going to get right back in and do it again. But sometimes 
the chaos makes us lose sight of the forest for the trees. And maybe sometimes that's a good thing because the forest would make us freak out just as much as hearing from an angel might make us freak out. It seems like everything's a moving target. You can't concentrate on anything except what's right there in front of you. That's sort of been the case the last nine months, hasn't it? As, you know, whenever I have given updates to, to the church or talked to my leaders, it's like, well, as of this instant, this is what's going on. But you never know the next instant, five seconds later, what, what's going to happen. So when God calls people to big things, God often only gives one step. And sometimes that'll drive us nuts, make us feel like we want the whole picture. We want to know how it's all going to work out before we take that first step. But sometimes that one step is all we can handle. Maybe even that feels like too much. God told Abraham, go. Eventually he would leave his land to a, to a place he didn't even know of yet. God told Moses, have one conversation. Now that conversation was going to be with really the leader of the world at that time who was holding his people hostage. God told Joshua, just cross the river to a land that was occupied by God's enemies. But just that one step, the Great Commission seems like such a huge undertaking to, to make disciples, to take the good news of great joy for all people, to take it to Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and to the, ultimately to the world. But we do it the same way you get up a mountain. Right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. Even here, our, our theme, our mission of bringing the presence of Christ into the community here at Woodlane. You know, we don't live in a big city or anything like that, but even that can seem huge. Even before the whole world shut down, how are we going to do it when we had no limitations? Now we're limited as far as what we can do and how we can interact and all that sort of stuff, and it's just mind-blowing to look at that forest. But before you know it, you just do that one foot at a time, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. You're on the other side going, did that just happen? Just the way the shepherds had it. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. Yeah, God just got you through that. No matter how little you may have brought to the table, he can get you through. How? Well, for our end, right foot, left foot, right foot, left foot. That's how you find joy in the midst of the chaos. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being a faithful God. One who, when you call us to big things, you see those big things through for us. And give us the strength to take that next step, to take that one step toward being faithful back to you. So give us the strength, give us the courage to do that for you this season. To take that one step that shares the good news of great joy with somebody else. Help us to do it well, we pray. Amen.